for me and my little brothers, it just doesn't get much better than Rock'em Sock'em Robots. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. Hungry, Hungry Hippos was a very close second. But there was something so satisfying about watching these little boxers jockey for position. And my little brothers, you know, their thumbs weren't very strong. So they would have these really weak punches that wouldn't connect. And then I'd get just in the right spot and wait for that moment for, oh, yeah. So sad. Okay, I'm going to get closer so you can hear this on the mic. Listen real close. <laughs> you hear that rattle? Like that sound is fused in my memory with pictures of my brother's faces as their, their brows would furrow and they'd start to frown because once again, the punch had landed. Now we're going to look at a parable this week in which Jesus and some religious leaders, they're going back and forth and, 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 and trading some spiritual questions and, and barbs and, and questions about interpretations. And they're questioning Jesus' authority when all of a sudden he throws out a parable that lands on their hearts like a punch on the jaw. So if you haven't turned there already, go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 21, which is where we're going to be. Now, while you're turning there, I want to welcome everybody who's with us. If you're live at our North Richland Hills campus, I'm so glad you've joined us this weekend. If it's your first time, I'm especially glad that you're here. Or maybe you're watching or listening online, online campus. We love you guys. Or maybe later on podcast. Thanks for spending some time with us. Now, we are in week four of a five week series called It's Like This Parables in Matthew. And we've set each week a foundational definition for the word parable. And a parable, it's, it's an ingeniously simple word picture with a profound spiritual lesson. And we've seen these lessons come out of teachings and stories from Jesus. And this week's parable is so simple, so obvious, and yet also so spiritually profound that I think it's going to impact us. So I want you to listen to Jesus' parable in Matthew 21. I'm going to start in verse 28 as he talks to these religious leaders. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? Well, the first, they answered. And Jesus said to them, these religious leaders, Truly, I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Jesus is not mincing words in today's parable. He is laying it out there. And, and I think the reason that this is so impactful is not because Jesus is bringing a new truth to these religious leaders. It's because he is reminding them of an obvious one that they have missed. So he starts with this father making this request to these two different sons. The same request. Go, go work in the field. Go work in the vineyard. And we'll start with this first son who says no right off the bat, but then changes his mind and decides to go. Here's how I would describe this first son. He is openly defiant, but ultimately obedient. That the first son openly defies the father's wishes by saying, no, I'm not going to go do that. But then changes his mind and he's ultimately obedient. Now, Jesus is teaching and he lived during a time and in a society that was a patriarchal society. 
So in a family setup, the father is not only the head of the household, but basically like in layman's terms, what dad said goes like that's just how it was. And there's some dads in here who are like, yeah, we need to live that way again. But that's how it was. It was it was an absolute dishonor to disagree with your father, especially if he made if not not a not a request, but but a command. And and so anybody watching this exchange, they saw this first son be openly defiant to the father. They would look and they'd say, that's a bad son. Like that's that's not how you're supposed to talk to the head of the household. But it then says that the son changed his mind and went and worked. Now, that in the text, that phrase changed his mind is just one word in the Greek. Metalomea. Can you guys say that? Say that with me. Metalomea. There you go. You learned a little Greek today. Now, the root of that word, it has this idea of to have a care. Like that it's something you care about, which is really different in English than changed his mind. It's this idea that in changing his mind, the son decided to care. That's the transformation, which means on the front end, he hears the commands of the father, but just doesn't care about them. Now, there's a lot of people in today's world, both inside and outside the church, who have heard the commands of God. And maybe they grew up in church and they don't go anymore. Or maybe they maybe they're, they've gone to church for a long time, but they're just skeptical about some parts of Scripture. But they've heard the commands of God, the, the wishes of the Father. But honestly, when push comes to shove, they just don't care. And so they say no right off the bat. And so maybe maybe there's somebody who's heard the commands of God and, and they've heard Jesus' teaching about love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. But when somebody uh, attacks you at, at work or at school, when they start talking behind your back and attack your reputation, you're not thinking about that command. You're you're hurt. You're mad. And you're going to attack back and respond. And, yeah, you've heard the command. But in that moment, man, I just don't care. This isn't fair. I'm not going to let them treat me that way. I'm not a pushover. Or maybe maybe there's somebody who's heard the commands of God about sexual purity. And by the way, Rick is going to start a series next month about sexuality that I hope that you'll plan to be here for. It's going to be powerful teaching. And there's plenty of people who have heard the commands of God about sexual purity. But you know what? When it comes to my body and what I want to do, I just don't care. I mean, I know what God said. I don't care. There's other people who have heard the Bible's teaching about putting God first in your finances. But you know what? When when it comes to payday and me having to decide what I'm going to budget for. I mean, I've heard it, but I don't care. Open defiance. But this son goes through this transformation and decides to care. And the text doesn't give us any indication of why. But in the kingdom of God, Jesus lays out very plainly why someone would make a change. In John 14, 23, he says very plainly, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. For Jesus, somehow, it's just that simple. That if you love him, then you're going to obey what he says. And so maybe part of the transformation of deciding to care is, you know what? Because I care about Jesus, I care about what he told me to do. That that's what the transformation looks like. And I love being part of a church where I see this all the time. You know, I I love that so often in the baptistry, when someone's going to commit their life to Jesus, that they tell a story or someone shares on their behalf a testimony that's very much someone moving from, I cared only about what I wanted to care about, but now... Because I care about God, I care about what he says, and I want to live an obedient life, and I want to give him my life. I love knowing that 
on all of our campuses as a church that, that we invest in the next generation in lots of incredible ways in our students and in our kids. Even this month, our West Fort Worth campus hosted their VBS and it was an awesome time where they had people who would come in and bring their kids, even from the community. And it was an opportunity to say, you know what? Because we care about God, we care about what he says about teaching children about Jesus. I love knowing that there are people who are helping to fulfill Vision 2020 and the goal that we have of of, of sending people on short term mission trips from our church who have this summer partnered and gone together to Haiti to live beyond to work with live beyond in Haiti, a country that is a living picture of the least of these in this world. And you know what? Because we love Jesus, we love doing what he said, which was to care for the least of these. I love that there are people who have gone and they've been going on let's start talking trips from our church. And this is a, a group who, who they, they help to connect people who speak English well with those who are trying to develop conversational English in other countries. And the way they do this is by reading a book of the Bible, specifically the Gospel of Luke. And so they read and they study and it's an opportunity to share about Jesus because if Jesus matters to us, then what he says we should do also matters to us to follow through on. That's the transformation for the first son. But then Jesus moves to the second son, who I think is somebody that he's leveraging in telling this parable to these religious leaders. And the second son, I would describe him this way. The second son is openly submissive, but ultimately rebellious. Did you hear how he answered the question from the father? The father comes and makes the same request. Hey, go, go work in the vineyard. Go work in the field. And this son says, I will, sir. Now, in the text, that word, sir, other translations, they translate that as Lord or master. This is extremely reverent language to the point that if I had done this to my dad when he was like when he asked me to mow the lawn as a teenager, it would sound sarcastic. Yes, my liege, I will mow the lawn like it's just over the top reverent. Of course, there's some dads in here who are like, you know, I could get used to that language compared to what my kids talk to me like. But he's openly submissive. And in that culture, anyone watching that exchange would say, that's a good son. That's how you're supposed to talk to the father of the house. But then this son doesn't follow through. And once again, we have no picture of why. We don't know the, the list of excuses. We don't know what happened. We don't know if this son fully intended to obey when he said, I will, sir. And then something just came up. There was something that just pulled him away or it got lower on the priority list. But initially in saying, yes, maybe this son really, really meant to follow through on it. And there's a lot of us that struggle with that. But because Jesus is talking to some religious leaders who think they have it all together and who've been playing the public PR game and who've gotten, been caught up in a sense of authority and, and celebrity. I think there's another possibility that maybe this second son was openly submissive with no intention of following through. Maybe they were just playing the game. There's a lot of teenagers in a lot of households who know how to play the game. And the game goes, act submissive when I'm face to face with mom or dad. But then behind their back, do whatever I want. Like build trust face to face, but then behind the back, I can just do whatever I want. And I can always have a good excuse why I didn't follow through. And some teenagers in here are like, don't give up the game. Don't, don't tell them. 
Look, the jig is up. Everybody knows about the game. It's okay. We've all played the game as kids growing up or with figures of authority. Maybe you play the game with your boss and, and you, you kowtow and you make yourself look very submissive. But behind, behind his back, behind her back, you just do whatever you want. The problem is, man, you can play that game at work. You can play that game with your family. You can even play that game at church. But you can't play that game with God and get away with it. And Jesus shows us through this parable something that, well, here's how author Bob Goff put it. God was a lot more concerned about the people who faked it than the people who blew it. That if you're acting like you, you're going to follow through, if you're acting like you've got everything right, but you're not actually living it out, then, man, that's a big red flag for God. And maybe you're listening and you're thinking, man, Taylor's just kicking up the guilt cloud today. Just real encouraging sermon today. And maybe you're thinking, you know what? I've been I've been in church for a long time and and I, I, I've been very diligent and I've studied the, the scriptures and, 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 and I've been a student of the word. And maybe maybe you struggle like so many of us do with with what it means to follow through in God's kingdom. So maybe this illustration will help. It's one borrowed from a friend. Imagine if my wife and I decided we were going to go on a 12 week trip. We're just going to be we're going to be out of the house, maybe for an extended mission trip or something. And so we, we, we get a young couple fresh out of college who agrees to house sit for us. And so imagine if, if we, my, my wife and I, we write up a 12 page notebook of instructions for how to take care of the house. And we hand it over to this young couple and, and we make sure that they understand that there's some very important things in there. We, we, we make sure they understand that inside the notebook, it tells them that we'd really like for them to make sure they get the mail because we didn't decide to, to have the, uh, Post office stopped bringing it. And so, so we, we just want them to bring the mail in and put it on the kitchen table. And, uh, and we also put in the notebook that there, there's our trash receptacles, which we keep our, our trash cans out in the garage, uh, the recycle and the trash. And so uh, if you take those out late Thursday night, they get picked up Friday morning. So if you could do that, that'd be great. There's also instructions in there about Courtney's house plants and how often they need to be watered. And uh, we also happen to have two cats to the dismay of my boss. And uh, and so we want you to we, we want to make sure that you you know that the, in the notebook, there's instructions about how often to feed them and some of their medicine. Oh, and there's also a guest bathroom in the in the notebook. It lets you know, you know, this this bathroom's a little bit temperamental with the, the toilet sometimes overflows. So there's instructions for the shutoff valve just in case you need it. So imagine we hand all this over to this young couple and they smile and they agree. And then we go on our trip. Now, imagine weeks later. As we return and immediately we're driving up and we see that the, po- that the, the, the mailbox is stuffed with letters. There are envelopes sticking out and some that have fallen into the street and nobody's gotten the mail. And then we open the garage door and as we do, we can see the trash can and the trash and the recycling lids are up like Pac-Man mouths because they're stuffed with trash and it stinks to high heaven. Then imagine we walk inside and Courtney looks and she sees her houseplants and they are bone dry and dead. And then I look over and, oh, no, the guest bathroom, the toilet has overflowed. The water has come out into the hallway and it is soaking into and ruining the hardwood. Meanwhile, Courtney's walking around the house going, kitties, kitties. And I look out the back window and there's two little little grave plots. This has become Rick's favorite illustration I've ever used. And then we look around and all of a sudden the couple shows up just to make sure we got home safe. And I look at them and I say, what happened while we were gone? 
And imagine if this couple looked at me and they and they said, we have so loved house sitting for you. And then they pull out the notebook and they say, as soon as we started reading this, we realized that it was full of very useful, practical wisdom. And so we started reading it together every single night just to make sure that we were familiar with what you'd wanted to tell us. And in fact, as as we read, we just we just got so caught up in everything that was there that we started here. Look, and, and imagine if they showed me pages where they had underlined passages of instructions that we'd written. And they said, I've even actually memorized the section about the shutoff valve for the toilet because it was just beautifully written. And uh, and then on top of that, we realized that this wisdom, it could really help other people. And so we've invited some of our friends over. And for the last few weeks, we've been spending one night a week reading this together and talking about what it could mean for our lives. What am I going to say to this young couple? Away from me, you evildoers. Like, like you've ruined my house. In the kingdom of God, it is so dangerous to spend time listening to God's word and listening to teaching and living in disagreement with what we say we agree with. That's why Rick spent... A whole last series preaching about adding verbs to our faith because we're so easily deceived on what follow through looks like. But the thing is, paying lip service to God's will in your life and then doing nothing is still disobedience. That doesn't count for anything in terms of obedience. There is no follow through in that. And so many of us, when we were baptized or when we continue to come to church and we amen and we clap and we respond to songs and we say yes to God, but we don't live yes to God. And for Jesus, this is a huge concern. Because the the religious leaders in that day, they were like a lot of us. They were pros at this. And maybe some of them were deceitful in their yes to God, but maybe others really thought that they were doing the right thing. But they failed to follow through. They failed to obey. And so listen very closely to Jesus' follow-up, his interpretation and application of his own parable. Because in a parable about obedience, Jesus interprets and talks about belief. Listen to what he says. Truly I tell you, The tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Now, that reference to John is a man named John the Baptist. And he was a prophet anointed and sent by God just before Jesus' ministry began. And he preached a message of repentance. And he said, prepare the way of the Lord. And he pointed to Jesus as the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world, who would be the Messiah. And when John preached this message, there were a lot of people on the fringe of society, people that everyone would say, man, that's a bad person, who responded and repented and wanted to change their life. Meanwhile, there were a lot of religious leaders who everyone would say, that's a good person, who did nothing and were skeptical. And Jesus, in indicting the religious leaders, he compares them in a very offensive comparison. Shocking for them to hear. He compares the chief priests and the elders of the people who seemingly had everything right with the tax collectors and the prostitutes. Now, the tax collectors, they, they were the, the ones who had betrayed their own, their own people. Because they were working with the Romans who occupied 
Israel. And they were considered socially corrupt. It would be like, it would be like if, if when the Nazis took over France, if a Frenchman defected to work with the Nazis to help them rule over the Frenchman, how would he be treated by his fellow countrymen? That's how these tax collectors are treated. Socially corrupt. Meanwhile, the, the prostitutes, they're seen as someone who, who lives in absolute defiance to God's teachings about sexuality and purity. And so they're seen as morally bankrupt. So Jesus is essentially saying, guess what? You people who think you have everything right, you religious leaders who think that you've said yes to God and that that's plenty. Guess what? The socially corrupt and the morally bankrupt, they're going to make it into the kingdom of God ahead of you. This was shocking for them to hear, but it's partly because Jesus says, you know, they believed and they obeyed. Now, notice he makes a connection between belief and obedience that we cannot miss. So here's your big takeaway for this parable. When we believe, we obey. Maybe you need to tweet that. Maybe you need to put that on Facebook. When we believe, we obey. Maybe you need to write that down as a reminder to yourself because Jesus brings together belief and obedience to remind us that when we believe, we obey. But the counter of that is true. Every act of disobedience is a sign of unbelief. That we don't really believe that what God says is best. We don't really believe that he deserves and has authority over our life. We don't really believe that we're ready to let go of the throne of our heart. See, in in modern day and in, in the Western world, we often disconnect belief and obedience. You can believe something and never decide to obey it. I believe that salads are probably the healthiest kind of lunch for me, but I mean, I'm not going to obey that. I get a burger and fries. The same is true spiritually. There are people in our in, in the kingdom of God who say, you know what? I believe that Jesus is savior. He's the Lord of my life. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't necessarily obey his teaching about praying for my enemies. Uh, I believe that God is absolute sovereign of all creation, including my life. But yeah, I don't necessarily obey his teachings about finances. I'm not crazy. I believe that Jesus, what he teaches, is going to bring me to my most fulfilled kind of life. But I mean, I, I don't turn my cheek when somebody hits me. I'm not a pushover. And we disconnect belief and obedience when Jesus brings them together and says, when we believe, we obey. That that's the motivation. That's the root. That's where we end up heading. And I know that talking about obedience, when we're a bunch of independent, spirited Americans who love to talk about freedom and the freedom and authority of the individual, and those things... Those things are great in the political realm, but, but the danger is that they creep into our sense of God's authority in our life. They creep into our sense of, man, I'm not going to have some preacher tell me to obey. I'm not going to have some preacher point the finger at me. And I'm not trying to do that today because I'm just as much of a sinner and a failure as anyone else in this room. But I'm trying to be obedient to what God said to do. Because if we only preach grace and we never preach obedience, then we cheapen that grace. If we only preach grace and acceptance, but we never say it's time to obey, it's time to live a changed life, then I have neutered what Jesus brought us. 
Do you know how Jesus finished his ministry in the Gospel of Matthew? All these parables, they've been out of Matthew. And you know how he finished? He didn't finish with a picture or a parable. He finished with a commission. And some of you are probably familiar with it. He gathered up his closest followers and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to listen to sermons about everything I have commanded to you. Sorry. And teaching them to study everything I have commanded. Sorry. And teaching them to memorize the Greek of everything I have commanded. Let's actually say the real thing together. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. That's Jesus' request. That he calls us to obedience. And even though you and I cannot live an, an obedient life on our own, the promise of Jesus right after that is, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. We do not obey alone. I don't have it in me to obey by myself, but when I believe that Jesus is with me, then his spirit empowers me to obey. He leads us into obedience. I can't do that on my own. Jesus so mercifully, lovingly guides us into a a renewed and changed life. And if we sit back on grace and never get up and obey and follow through, then we have missed it. We have missed the call in the kingdom. So here's a question I want you to wrestle with. In what parts of my life have I avoided obedience? Maybe some of the examples I've thrown out have been right on the bullseye for you. But maybe it's something else. Maybe it's something that no one else knows about. And maybe you've avoided obedience because you've just had competing priorities and you've really intended to follow through, but somehow you just ended up disobedient. Or maybe you've been openly defiant. And you're actively avoiding obedience in some area of your life. And maybe it's been something you've avoided because you feel that obedience will be difficult and painful. And it may be. But the question is, are you willing to trust that if you are obedient, God will be faithful? I'm not saying that you get a sticker or a reward in earthly terms, every single time that you obey. I'm saying that God is faithful to the end. And he sees our obedience. And the question is, will you, will you trust what the Father has asked you to do, that it is ultimately what is best? Even if it doesn't seem that way, even if it doesn't feel like it. Will you trust the Father? There's a pastor I deeply respect named Dave Stone. And he tells a story about when his daughter Sadie was 12 years old. It's getting close to the holiday season and Sadie had been counting down the days to a Christmas party with her community group and all her friends at church. She was so excited about it. Well, the Friday before the weekend of the party, she got up to go to school and got into her bathroom and saw that there was a letter taped to the mirror. It was from her dad, Dave. And it said, you're not going to go to school today. Pack your bags for a three day trip. We'll leave in about a half hour. Now, Sadie was curious, but as soon as she realized that this meant she was going to miss her party, she was very disappointed. In fact, earlier that week, she had heard her mom and dad talking in the kitchen about how her dad was going to go preach at some church in rural Kentucky. So Sadie's thinking, am am I going to go spend a weekend in the boonies with my dad while I miss the, the party with all my friends? She talks to her mom about it and her mom says, Sadie, Sadie, just trust your father. You're going to have a ton of fun. Just just pack your bag. So they get in the car and 
They start driving and immediately Dave pulls out his phone and he starts playing voicemails that he'd had people call and leave. Some of them are from relatives and they're saying things like, Sadie, we know you're going to miss the party, but but just trust your father. You're going to have a great time on this trip. There were ministers from church who had called in and said, Sadie, we, we know that you're sad about missing the party, but you're going to have such a great time. Just trust your father. There was even a voicemail from the community group leader who said, Sadie, we are going to miss you at the party. But I promise I wish I could go where you're headed. You're going to have a great time. Trust your father. And as they were driving, Dave asked Sadie to get something out of the back seat of the car. And so while her back was turned, he pulled off the highway into the airport. And when she turned around, now Dave had her attention. And she said, where are we going? And he said, I I was asked to speak at a church this weekend. And three months ago, I bought your ticket because I thought you'd want to come with me. It's not in rural Kentucky. It's in New York City. Sadie had this big smile on her face all of a sudden because earlier that holiday season, she had watched the lighting of the tree at Rockefeller Center and she was just enamored with Times Square and and she, and she just always wanted to go to the Big Apple and now all the pieces are coming together and she's realizing what her dad had planned long before there was a party to go to. So they go and they... They watch her first ever Broadway show and they they walk around Times Square and take all the pictures and they they haggle with every street vendor for every scarf and watch in New York City. And then they finally go to Rockefeller Center and no longer through a TV screen, but with her own eyes, she looks at these this big, beautiful tree, these shimmering Christmas decorations. And for both of them, it is a cherished memory from her childhood. And I wonder where would, the, where would the Father want to take you if you're willing to trust and walk in obedience? Who's, whose life would he want to impact through your obedience? How many generations would he want to impact and affect by you walking in a way that honors him above anyone else? What kind of an adventure, what kind of a life would he want to lead you into if you could trust that what he was asking you to do was ultimately the best. Because when we shine a light on Christ through our obedience, we are pointing to the one son who is absolutely perfect. Both sons in this parable, they blow it at one point or another. They're either openly defiant or they're ultimately rebellious, and a lot of us have been both. And none of our obedience could ever earn favor with the Father. We could never earn the reward that we would hope for from the Father. In fact, what we've earned in our defiance and rebellion is death and rejection. But God sent Jesus. And he came and he was openly submissive to the Father. And he was also ultimately obedient in everything. He lives this perfect life. Changes the world. Shows the heart of God. And then he dies the death of a defiant rebel. And then he raises from the grave and proves his authority and victory over death and sin and evil and shows us that we don't have to fear the effects of obedience or the consequences of an obedient life to Christ in this world because he has promised us an eternity with him that we could never earn with our obedience and yet we are credited with Christ's Perfect obedience. And if we really believe that, if we really believe that Jesus can change and has changed and is changing and resurrecting our lives day in and day out, if we believe that, then we can walk in obedience.
and trust the Father. Let me pray over you. God, I stand grateful and humbled by your generosity. I stand convicted as a religious leader who has lived the two-faced version of life before. And all of us have failed, all of us have struggled, and we've avoided obedience, and we have defied your will, and in return, you gave us the perfect gift of Jesus, a Savior who would forgive us, and a Lord who would call us to a better and perfect life. Oh God, through your Spirit, help all of us who are in Christ to walk in obedience For the sake of the world, see more of how you can impact lives, more of how you get all the glory. And for those who are listening to me who aren't sure how they feel about Jesus, will you continue to draw them to you? That they would know that there is great healing and forgiveness and embrace with Jesus. And there's also a transformed life waiting for them. In your name we pray, amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. If you're on our response team, go ahead and take your place. We've got folks who are ready to pray with you and talk to you. And maybe you need to repent. Or maybe you want to talk to somebody about what it means to make Jesus the Lord of your life. Wherever you're at, there are people here who would love to talk with you and pray with you. And this is that opportunity. As we worship our Father in heaven, whom we can trust and obey.